But I am super excited to speak to you guys tonight. And this passage, it's at the very end of Paul's second missionary journey. So in the book of Acts, we have um, the story of the early church, and then it kind of starts to follow Paul and his missionary journeys, and we get like his first, second, and third. So this is the end of his second missionary journey. So last week, Matt talked about um, Paul and his time in Athens. And so this week, we're going to um, move from Athens, where Paul was preaching to the Greeks, remember, and, and he was talking about the altar to the unknown God, and he shared the gospel based on that. This week, we're going to move from Athens to Corinth, and um, Corinth is like a different city, um, but let's talk about Corinth for a second, because at the time that the book of Acts was written, and Paul is traveling and doing these missionary journeys, um, so Corinth surpasses Athens in importance. It's the political center, it's the commercial center of Greece. So when we think of ancient Greece, we think of Athens, I don't know about you guys, Greek mythology, all of that, I think Athens. But those people in, in Paul's day, they're thinking Corinth. <laughs> and so um, it's a political center that he goes to. It's a commercial center, so they're doing lots of trade there. It's also a really wicked city. Like there is, there is sin and there is idolatry and there is immorality running rampant in this city. Um, there's a temple to Aphrodite. So if you took classics, you've probably heard about Aphrodite. She's the goddess, goddess of love and war. There's a temple to Aphrodite that was in a hill behind the city and people would go there and engage in worship of her. And worship of her didn't look like what we just did. Worship of her looked like um, like temple prostitution and stuff like that. Like it was, it was a very um, corrupt city. And so in Corinth, Paul found a challenge, right? Like how many of you guys, you're like getting excited about God and you're learning to follow God and you're like, God, send me. I want to go to people who need you. And then you end up somewhere like Corinth and you're like, maybe not people that need you quite this much. You know, like, I mean, it was a dark place. It was a dark place. God sent Paul to a challenge, but he also sent him to a great ministry opportunity. Because when you find yourself in a dark place, you can either see it as, man, this place is a mess. Or you can see it as an opportunity because you're like, God's not been here yet. And so God can like tear this place up for his glory and change it. And so Paul embraces this in Corinth and he finds a great ministry opportunity. And then, so we hear about the Corinthians more in the Bible. Later, Paul wrote them two letters. So if you keep turning the pages from Acts, there's First and Second Corinthians after Romans. And these are two letters that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. And he wrote about a lot of problems that they're dealing with because when really wicked people turn to Jesus, right? So they're really wicked. They turn to Jesus. They start to follow him. And their lives start to change. Walking that out is a big mess. It's a big mess. Like we don't get saved and all of a sudden like we are like washed and clean and every desire within us just evaporates. Like sometimes that happens, praise God. But sometimes it's a process. And so Paul is writing in Corinthians to people in that process. Which kind of encourages me. Because I wasn't one of those people that was saved and, and just all of a sudden overnight I was living this perfect holy life. Like, I got saved, and y'all, I was a mess. I, like, when I was 15, I came to Christ, and um, I started driving at 16. I had gotten involved in my youth group, 
and I was such a mess that like, so I was saved, I was living for Jesus, or trying to, and after youth group, we would hop in the car, we'd drive to the club. Like, I needed some work, right? <laughs> and my youth pastor was like, what are you doing? And I'm like, it's fun. You know, like, it just, it didn't even connect that, like, if I, if I go dance like this club, that's probably sinful. It didn't, it didn't connect. Like, people come out of darkness. Like, it's a big mess. But Jesus sees that as an opportunity. He sees that as an opportunity. So in verse 2, it says there, meaning in Corinth, Paul met a Jew named Achilla, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome, leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. So in Corinth, Paul meets some other Jewish Roman citizens, and it's a married couple, Priscilla and Aquila. And Aquila. That Aquila sounds wrong, but we'll say Priscilla and Aquila. Um, I do like how their names go together, though. They kind of have a groove, right? Uh, so he meets this married couple, and they had been exiled from Rome. So during the rule of Emperor Claudius, he releases this edict that all the Jews have to get out of Rome. He's like, if you're Jewish, get out. And so they found themselves in Corinth, where they met Paul, and they opened their home to him. And I don't know about you guys, but like after being exiled, I don't know that I would feel super hospitable, but they were awesome. They opened their home, and he comes in. And um, so in Jewish culture at the time, each Jewish boy would learn a trade, right? Like, you got to learn what you're going to do to, like, take care of your family and, and to bring an income. And so they earned a living with whatever trade that they took up. Paul and Aquila both had been trained as tent makers. And so they would cut and they would sew and they would weave goat's hair into tents. I don't know how you go from a goat hair to a tent, but that's what they did. Okay? And these tents were often sold to the army, to the soldiers. Um, so they may have actually been selling these tents to the Roman army. And so as a tent maker, they were able to go wherever they wanted to go and take their livelihood with them. So Paul worked alongside Aquila and Priscilla, and he taught them about Christ. Because like at the beginning of this passage, they're Jews from Rome, right? Um, but then later we learned that they go on to disciple Apollos and others, and they become this dynamic couple for the glory of God. And I really think that like it's Paul living with them, them working, spending all this time, like he's talking to them all day. What's he doing? He's sharing everything he knows about God. They're soaking it in, and their lives are changed, and they go on to change other lives. Um, and I think this couple is a really cool example, like a really cool example of what God can do through a husband and wife that work as a team for the kingdom of God. Um, so Priscilla and Aquila, they're never mentioned separately. Like in scripture, they're always kind of like a, a package duo. Um, so they worked together. They worked together to minister for Christ. It wasn't like one of them doing it and the other hanging back. Like they both were like in the thick of the ministry, which is super cool. And it's super cool that like right there at the beginning of the early church, we have that example like right there for us. Um, and what I really love about them is the fact that instead of becoming discouraged in exile, they open up their home, they receive Christ, and they start to minister to others. Um, they took the setback of exile, right? 
which is certainly probably not what they dreamed life would be when they got married and they were like, in their honeymoon phase, they probably weren't like, I hope we get exiled to Corinth, right? But they took that and they used it to grow the kingdom of God. And I think it encourages me because every single one of us in our life, like we're going to fit, like face discouragements and setbacks and we're going to be walking in one direction and we're going to run into a wall and it's not going to, like sometimes things aren't going to work out the way we had hoped. Sometimes the dreams that we dreamed, like we start going in that direction, we find out God has something completely different. But I really believe that like God leads us and directs us sometimes through victory, right? Sometimes through setback. But he puts us in a place where he can use us for his, his glory to grow his kingdom. And so like I think that encouraged me because when I read their story, I'm like, man, sometimes I'm like headed in a direction. And I feel like God is leading me there. And I feel like, y'all, I just, like, walk into a wall. Like, I really, like, because I'm kind of, like, a, a high-energy person, if you've met me. Um, I'm a high-energy person. I like to do things. I like to go. And so, like, if God's, like, go, I'm like, okay. And then, you know, sometimes he's like, whoa. And, um, you know, I find myself discouraged. But I'm learning that there's purpose, even in those setbacks, that God has me there for a reason, that he wants to do something. You know, and so I really believe that God wants to use us, even in those moments where I feel like we're we're facing a discouragement or a setback, to like pause and look around and be like, "What am I supposed to do for the kingdom here?" You know. So if you find yourself in that place, you're like, "I don't want to be here in this in this situation." God, what's going on? You know, maybe look around and be like, "Okay, what am I supposed to do for your kingdom?" You know, and then have a better attitude about it than I do. Sometimes I'm like. What do I have to do to your kingdom to move on? <laughs> like, you know. Um, but like, you know, ask the Lord, like, is there something you have me to do here? So Paul continues this pattern that Matt's been talking about, right? And in verse 4 it says this, Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade the Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, which y'all remember we talked about Silas and Timothy, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So Paul left the synagogue and went next door. How nice would that be? He just goes next door. Um, To the house of Titus, Justice, a worshiper of God, Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. So we see this pattern continue that Matt's talked about. Like, he goes first to the Jews. They become abusive. We don't know what that was, but it does not sound fun, right? And so he goes next door. Praise God. Literally next door from the discouraging situation, he had people that were ready to receive the Lord and like the synagogue ruler ends up, ends up over there and, and he starts leading people to Christ. Um, so he continues that, that pattern, Jews first and then Gentiles, but, but he's seeing fruit. And then verse 9 it says this, One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, Do not be afraid, keep on speaking, do not be silent, for I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. So this is encouraging, right? Like, God speaks to Paul in a vision, and he tells him he has many people in Corinth. 
And you guys, sometimes, I don't know about you, but in a discouraging situation, like it says that he was abused. He was treated so badly, the word is abused by the Jewish people in Corinth. Like sometimes you find yourself in a bad situation and like you feel alone. It feels like, man, Jesus, I'm trying to stand for you here in Corinth. I'm trying to tell these people about your truth. And then like they're just going to treat me like this and they're going to be mean to me like this. And I'm, and you felt alone. And so like sometimes when we find ourselves in a similar situation, we're trying to stand for Jesus, we can feel alone or isolated, especially when we're in a place where there's wickedness around us and we're being persecuted for our faith. Um, so usually, like this passage says, there are others in the neighborhood or the community or somewhere around us who follow Christ. And so if you're finding yourself feeling isolated and alone, and you're surrounded by like sin or darkness or a hard situation, ask God to lead you to other Christ followers. Like ask Jesus, Lord, where are the other believers? Because they exist, right? Like in the Old Testament, y'all remember the prophet Elijah? And he's like depressed and he's down and he's like, Lord, I'm the only one. And then God showed him there are 500. That's not the only one. But he lost sight of it and he was discouraged. So if you find yourself feeling like you are standing alone, cry out to God and say, God, show me where they are. Like, show me the other 500. Or maybe it's the other five, but like, there are other people there. So ask God to lead you to other Christ followers. And God also used Paul to raise up believers in Corinth, right? Sometimes there's not godly community, and that's because God wants to use you to create godly community wherever you're at. God used Paul to raise up believers in Corinth. And throughout the New Testament scripture, we hear about these people, right? So there's Phoebe. She's from Corinth. She's in Romans 16. There's Tertius. He comes up in Romans 16 too. And Erastus and Cordus. Those are all in Romans 16. In 1 Corinthians, we have Chloe and Gaius and Stephanus and his household. Fortunus and uh, a guy whose name starts with A that I'm not going to butcher for you. Um, but like these are all believers that become leaders that are mentioned throughout the New Testament from Corinth. So not only did God show him other faithful people, but he used him to raise up other people that would be faithful and share Christ and spread the kingdom of God while he was there. So this shows us, right, that sometimes we're surrounded by darkness and God will be with us and he'll use us in that darkness to bring other people to Christ. God will literally send us to build Christian community among unbelievers. So there's like three points here, right? And we'll come back to them at the end and we'll pray about them so you can think about them now. And you can think about which of these is God trying to like work in my life, right? But there's three points here. The first one is when things are dark, trust that God is with you. So if you find yourself in a dark situation and things are hard, trust that God is with you. The second one is look for other believers, right? Ask God to show you where are those people who love the Lord. Where are those other people that will stand for Christ? Because they're there. Ask the Lord to show you. And then the third one is ask God how he's wanting to use you in the darkness to spread his kingdom, right? And create godly community. Ask God, how do you want to use me here? Because most of the time when we find ourselves surrounded by darkness and dark situations and people that are lost and broken, why are they broken? They're broken because they're away from God. They don't know God, right? But a lot of times when we find ourselves in that situation, God wants to use us. 
He wants to send us to those people, right? To tell them about Christ and, and build his kingdom, literally bring his kingdom to where they are, to where it doesn't exist yet. Um, and so an example of this, here's a Jackie College story. All the way back from my freshman year of undergrad. So I went to UT Knoxville, as one of you does. <laughs> I went to UT Knoxville, and my freshman year, I was part of the rowing team. So I came to campus. They're like recruiting student athletes to be part of the rowing team. I was like, I don't know what a rowing team is, but I'm an athlete, and I'm not doing any, I'm not committed to any other athletic team. So they're like, you should try out. So I go to tryouts, and I make the team. Praise God. I make the team. And I um, really made the team because I'm small and I can run. I like to run, right? And so like I was the coxswain, which is the person that steers the boats and leads the runs, right? But I made the team and I love the team and I loved hanging out with the people. You guys, I love, like I said, I'm high energy. I love to run, I love to exercise, I love to be outside. Inside, sitting still is like the bane of my existence. If there's fluorescent lighting, it's worse. Um, like, I love to be outside and move and, like, do things, right? So I was like, this is the perfect situation. I'm going to have the best freshman year. This is going to be awesome. And then, so what do you do when you're a student athlete? I'll tell you what you do. You only spend time with your team. Like, you go to class, and then you go to workouts. And then when you're done with your workouts, you go eat, and you go study with your team. You hang out with your team, and you wake up at 6 a.m., you lift weights with your team, and you go to class, and if the athletic department has a weight, you have class with your team. Like, you do everything with your team, which sounds super cool until you realize that nobody on your team loves Jesus. Everybody on your team is, like, way after sin. And I won't elaborate all of it, but it's like, if you can think of sin on a college campus, like, this was happening in the rowing team, and I'm, like, surrounded by this. And I started like feel very alone. And I would go home in my dorm room and I would sit with the Lord and I would cry. And I'd feel so lonely and so discouraged. Because I was just like, it's dark. Like I'm doing this, it should be fun, but it's dark, Jesus. Like these people don't care about you. You know, and then they like laugh at me because I was trying to go to Kaiaf and worship God. And they'd be like, Don't do that. Like, let's go out, let's go out and do this tonight. And I'm like, I actually want to go worship God, you know, and it was dark. So I started praying about this, and I started asking the Lord what to do. And um, so in that loneliness, you guys, I started spending incredible amounts of time, anytime I could get it with Jesus. Like down to like, we had to do study hours, and you have to do at least 20 study hours a week with your team in the thing, like in the athletic complex. And I would like bring my Bible and I would sit with my team and they would laugh at me while I read it. But I was like, I am like desperate for God to do something in this situation because it's just dark, right? Well, apparently if you sit and you study in the athletic complex and you open your Bible and half of your team is making fun of you because it was a large team. And at some point I realized I didn't know everyone. Then other people will be like, that girl has a Bible. I bet that she loves Jesus. And they would come up and they'd be like, I go to church too. <laughs> right? And like God started to show me other Christians. And like it turned out there were a few of us. But like, you know, everybody's trying to keep quiet. And I'm just really bad at keeping quiet. You know, but then like 
they were like, well, they weren't super nice to you, so I wasn't going to be like, I like her, you know. Um, so it turns out there were other Christians, which then, so then the thing turns around, so I'm like, okay, I can, like, I can do this if there's a few other people who will, like, just love the Lord with me in this place. Like, I can do it. Like, you guys, I also do music and stuff, and, and we used to say, my friend Jade used to say, like, you can show up and you can play any venue, any venue, if you have one friend in the room. She's like, it changes everything. Like, you can walk in and everybody can be me mugging, and they can care less that you're up there. But if you have one friend in the room and you can look at that one friend and you can be like, they are for me, like, you can kill it. Anytime you need to show up and be a music artist, you need that one friend in the room. Right? And so, like, their own team was like that. I was like, I just need the friends in the room so I don't have to stand alone. So then I'm spending time with Jesus. I'm encouraged because I'm like, even if somebody picks on me for my faith, I'm not alone here. Right? And so I continue to pray, continue to go to Chi Alpha, and the Lord starts to birth this passion in my heart. And instead of feeling like the rowing team people are awful, because I really loved them, like they were fun, just... They were in a lot of sin, and I was not trying to be about that, right? But instead of thinking, this is awful, God started to birth something in me. And a, like a switch flipped in my heart, and I was like, you know what, Jesus? I want to tell every single girl on this rowing team that will listen about the gospel. Every single one. You guys, I went hard. I don't know that I got to 100%, but it's like I tried to have some intentional Jesus Christ-centered conversation with every single girl that would listen to me. And you would not believe, because some of the most hostile, some of the ones in the most sin, were the most willing, if you just sat down and you were like, hey, like, so I've noticed, like, one-on-one, not in front of friends, but like, hey, I've noticed, like, whenever, like, I talk about Jesus or church, you get really hostile. What's that about? Like, were you hurt? Or like, like, where is that coming from? Man, they would open up. And it was like, God like just completely opened up these opportunities to share Christ, right? And, and so like God took what was a very dark, overwhelming situation and he used it to build his kingdom. And it's not like the whole rowing team came to Christ, but man, like God started to work. People started to hear the gospel. Some of them throughout the years, their lives were changed, right? Some of them, I know that at least once they've heard the gospel of Jesus Christ where they had not heard it before. And I trust that, like, you know, Isaiah 55 says the word of the Lord never turns void. It's, it's like a seed, and, and, like, we can trust that God's going to sow, like, as we sow the scripture, God's going to, like, water it and cause it to grow. And so it's like a shared scripture. At some point, that thing's going to bear fruit. I may not get to see it, but I, but I got to share Um, But God, like, sometimes he wants to use us in those dark places. So I encourage you tonight that if you're finding yourself in a discouraging situation or a place that you are surrounded by darkness or wickedness or apathy, where are those places in your sphere of influence that God may be wanting to use you? Because there are places that each and every one of you guys are that... I can't step there, Pastor Matt can't step there, Pastor Derek, Natalie, they can't, they can't go there. They can't go to your class. They can't log into that Zoom, you know. They can't show up at like this club or, or, or whatever. They can't work where you work. But God has put you there. And I really believe he wants to use you to build his kingdom where you are.
And sometimes it's those darkest places, those places that make us like want to run away, right? That is where God wants to use us most. So where is it that God might want to use you? So we'll read on. It says, while Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to a place of judgment. This man, they charged, is persuaded, is persuading the people to worship God in ways that are contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to them, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle this matter yourselves. I will not be the judge of such things. So he drove them off. Then the crowd there turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue leader, and beat him in front of the proconsul. And Gallio showed no concern whatsoever. So basically, Paul, he's building the kingdom, right? And then the synagogue leaders get mad. They basically are accusing him of treason, which would have meant that he was encouraging people to follow a different human king than Caesar. But this wasn't the case. Paul was urging people to believe in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. And it was probably frustrating to be accused and to have to stand trial. Right, so this was a hostile and unwelcome event, yet God was using Paul and Priscilla and Achilla to accomplish his purposes. And sometimes, you guys, we face adversity. Like, we'll be doing the thing for God, right? Like, we'll be full out doing the thing for God, and his kingdom is being built, and God is, God is moving, but we still face adversity. And what we have to realize is that, like, God will defend us. Like, in this situation, Paul's accused of treason. He's brought before this judge, and the Lord straight up has his back. And instead of Paul getting in trouble, right? Like, who gets in trouble? It's the guy that accused him, and he gets beat up. Um, so God made good on his promise that he was going to protect Paul. And his earlier promise, God made good. Um, and then it tells us that, like, Paul was in Corinth for a year and a half, and God used him during that time to plant the church, to write those letters that we talked about. Um, and while it seemed like a hostile environment, Paul was using, or God was using Paul to accomplish his purposes. And so here's a really cool thing about this section of scripture right here. This dude, the synagogue leader that like accuses Paul, that brings him before the judge, he like drags him out there and he's like, this man is committing treason and you need to punish him. He gets beat up. So in 1 Corinthians 1.1, so the letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1.1, we get this little tidbit. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Sosthenes. And so most scholars agree that is the same dude that dragged Paul before the judge and tried to get him imprisoned. The same dude, Sosthenes, right? Converts to Christianity, not only converts to Christianity, but he's helping Paul write this letter to the Corinthians, and he becomes a leader in the church. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. And I don't know about you guys, but like, if I were Paul in the situation, and dude pulled me in front of a judge and accused me and tried to get me in prison, I don't know that I'd be trying to spend more time with him. But apparently, Paul spent time with this guy, and he poured into this guy and led this guy to Christ to the point that he like literally is helping in the ministry. And so what if 
What if, if someone opposes us, instead of getting bitter, we dare to believe that someday God could raise them up to work alongside us for the cause of Christ? Like, what if instead of getting bitter, we choose to pray and believe, man, like someday God could use you and you could be standing right next to me, sharing Jesus with people, right? Like, what if we chose to believe that? Um, so in this, in this scripture, it's kind of wrapping up Paul's missionary journey, and so we'll read it, and then we'll spend some time in prayer. It says, Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off as sanctuary because of a vow he had taken. And so we won't go into that. There's like a lot of interesting side tidbit, but it's not essential. Um, they arrived at Ephesus where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila, and he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews, and when they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I'll come back if it's God's will which there's an Ephesian church later, so apparently it was, um, that he, like, that church got planted. Then he set sail from Ephesus, and when he landed at Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church, then went down to Antioch. So this marks the end of Paul's second missionary journey and the beginning of his third. So Antioch, if you remember way back to the beginning of us going through um, Acts and talking about Paul's missionary's journey, that was Paul's home base. Right? That's where he was originally sent out as a missionary from. And so in the coming weeks, we're going to learn about Paul's missionary, third missionary journey. Um, and he spends his time in that revisiting the churches he previously planted. And then we get to hear what happens with those Ephesians, right? Um, but, it, but it concludes like this. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region strengthening all the disciples. So he's going to go, and he's going to go back to the people, and he's going to strengthen them. Um, so what can we take away from tonight? What can we take away from tonight and from this chunk of scripture? I really think it's this. It's those three things, right? Like the first one, when things are dark, trust that God is with you. So you may be in classes or in a dorm situation or in a family situation, or work situation that seems incredibly dark. So when you find yourself in such situation, remember, just like Paul was with, or it's like God was like, with Paul, God is with you. Right? So when things are dark, trust that God is with you. The second one, look for other believers. Ask God to show you where they are. Ask God, where are the other believers? That, like, we might could do this together, and I don't have to feel alone. So when you feel like you're standing all alone, ask God to show you where there are other people that you can have community with. Um, and then the third one, ask God how he's wanting to use you in that darkness to create godly community. So ask God, how are you challenging me? How do you want to use me here? And I really feel like these three things are the things that we can like take away from this, this portion of scripture. And so I want to spend just a few minutes in prayer as we wrap up. And um, we're going to pray for three things. So I'll tell you what they are, and we'll pray. Cool. So you can know how we're praying. The first one is, like, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, maybe you're like Sosthenes before 1 Corinthians 1, right? And you're far away from God, and you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. 
You guys, it's the most important decision you can ever make, right? Because this Jesus, this Jesus that Paul is risking his life for, like he came to this earth as a baby that was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life, which none of us can do, but he did it. He worked in miracles and he lived among people and then he was crucified on the cross, not because he did anything wrong, but because he wanted to bear our sin and our shame so that in dying and then being raised to life three days later, he could take our sin, leave it on the cross and be able to restore our ability to have a relationship with God. And so like knowing Jesus is the most important decision we can ever make. So it's the first prayer point is just if you're here and you're like, I don't know him and I need to, we're going to pray for that, okay? The second one is maybe you feel like you're in a dark, lonely place spiritually. If that's you, we want to pray because God doesn't want any of us to stay there, right? Like sometimes we end up in a dark, lonely place because God wants us to like get close to him and cling to him and then he wants to give us community. We are created for community and God is all about us having healthy Christian community. And the third one is maybe you sense that like you're in a place that God's wanting to use you to build his kingdom. Might be dark, might not, not be completely dark, but God wants to use you to build something. So those are the three things we're going to pray for. So if you guys would bow your heads, just spend some time talking to the Lord.